All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Another exciting week we have. We're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 4. It's a glorious day. I thank the Lord for bringing us all here. And thank the Lord for giving me the message that he's given me today. Because I know that uh, that is not from me. It is totally, totally from him. So we're going to title our message today, Love and Sacrifice. And it's going to be a part one. Because we're going to have a part two, and part probably yeah, at least a part two to this message. As today we're only going to cover a whopping four verses. And we got to jump into it because I hope we have enough time to get through those four verses. So let's pray and begin our uh, begin our time and ask for the Lord's blessing upon our message today in our hearing and our speaking as well. Lord, thank you so much for bringing us here. Thank you so much for bringing every listener out there to us today, Lord God. And thank you, Lord God, for your love. Because, Lord, we're going to see just a picture of your love today. And I don't understand how you could love us like you do, but you do. And your word is very clear. And you didn't just show us your love, or or I'm sorry, Lord, you didn't just speak your love and say, I love you. Lord, your love was all that you did was you show your love, just like you showed your love today. And, Father, you showed your love, too by making your son go through what we're going to look today at. And I just I pray that you'd bless me, the speaker, Lord God, that anyone that hears me today, Lord God, would hear loud and clear the what you want us to hear. And, and I pray, God, that you would allow everybody that's hearing this message, Lord God, wherever they are, to hear what you want to hear too as well, Lord God. And, and not just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer. Of the word, Lord God, may the word that they hear today and how much you love them today cause them to not just hear, but respond to what they hear. Anoint this time and uh, anoint us all, Lord God, and help us to hear and do. And of course, rely on you. As we see, that's the end of our message to rely on you. I love you and I praise you. And I just ask all these things in Jesus' name. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Give you a moment to turn there, if anybody wants to turn there. So we have a reading. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward... He was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So in studying this, as I was reading this whole kind of partial chapter, I was actually expecting to get through at least uh, verse 11 of this chapter, uh, God just struck me and said, and just just showed me so much. And the notes that I have are just absolutely mind-blowing. So I, I can't wait 
I'm so excited to read them. And in one in one uh, part of me says, "Wow." The other part of me says, "I can't believe it." Another part of me says, "Is it true?" But then after I did all the research that I did and God gave me what He showed me, we're gonna see. And so we're gonna break it down. We start we started over. Very first verse one. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, in studying this, and I'll get to my point in a moment, we have Jesus was led up by the Spirit. The Greek word there is pneuma or pneume, defined as, uh, in the Greek, the third person of the triune God, the Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal with the Father and the Son. Sometimes referred to in a way which emphasizes his personality and character, the Holy Spirit but sometimes referred to in a way which emphasizes his work and power, the spirit of truth. Now, we go back to the same area, chapter 3 of Matthew, verse 16, and we have it said, When he had been baptized, meaning Jesus, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and aligning upon him. Now, Contextually, this is that's just a few verses away from where we are today. It is the same Greek word. So it's the spirit. The reason I had to look at the word spirit is because when I was reading this over, as I read verse 1, God arrested me, and I read, and Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the immediate thing that struck me on the mind was, the Spirit did what? The Spirit of God did what? It, I didn't understand it. I'm like, wait a minute. The Spirit of God drove Christ into the wilderness to be tempted. Huh? Think about that. I didn't really want to believe it when I first read it. I was like, what? Are you serious? Our Father, which art in heaven, caused this to happen. We know him better in Mark 14.36, Romans 8.15, and Galatians 4.6 says, Abba, Father. Which the Greek word is Abba. And the definition is the most sacred proper name used in prayer form for God. We also know him as John, or in, in 1 John 4, chapter 4, verse 8, as God is love. So why would a loving God drive his only begotten son into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan? I don't really see that as a loving God. That's not loving to me. That seems like harsh. That seems unfair. What? I know I'm a loving father. I would probably not do that to my child. But we know this. We know in Romans 8.28 that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We know that. We also know Hebrews 4, 14 and 15. And it reads, Seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, 
let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And I have that, and I read that, and I, and I think this act of what God did to Jesus still goes way outside of my understanding and my, my, my perception of who God is. And it does not seem like what a loving father would do. And that challenged me. I said, holy camoli. But God is love. We know that God is love. God says he's love. Jesus demonstrated his love toward us. God demonstrated his love toward us. Why? But he did it. God sent Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. To fast with no food for 40 days and 40 nights. To be tempted by Satan. For that purpose of that. Wow! <laughs> so why did God do it? That's the key. And that's what God showed me and helped me understand and helped me realize. And the answer is, is our title. Because he loves us. Simply because he loves us. Wow. Think about that for a moment. It doesn't make sense, but we're going to see why in a moment. Because God loves us, he sent Jesus to go through a terrible, probably the most terrible, torturous time as we're going to look through later. It was the whole 40 days. Think about that. God loves us. So God showed it to me like this. I've noticed in my walk with Christ that I've gone through some very difficult, terrible times, both spiritually, mentally, and emotionally, along with physical. I've had physical tests, physical tortures. But as God helps me and gets me through those great battles that I have, I notice that somewhere down the road, someone that the Lord will put into my path will have had a similar struggle that I already had, and I've been through. Well, since I've already been through that struggle, and since I've already been through that temptation or through that battle, now I can minister to and sympathize with that person, whoever that may be, in a more excellent way. In fact, isn't it true, if we've ever been through a terrible struggle, we've been through it, and we've already been there, and we meet somebody that's going through it, when they even hear the fact that you've been through that, and this is how God helped you through that, and you've already been there, that comforts them. Well, if you've been there, and you've been through that, then I know I can get through that, and you can even help me get through that. Some examples of those trials would be different kind of spiritual attacks, miscarriages, a death in the family, mother, father, etc., losing a job, maybe having been homeless. Nobody that has never been homeless cannot sympathize with somebody on the street that's homeless right now. 
A woman cannot minister to another woman that's had a miscarriage unless that woman that's talking to her has had a miscarriage because that woman that's just had the miscarriage feels like nobody in the world knows what they're going through. But then a woman comes along that has. That woman can say, hey, I've been through that. Let me help you. Only if you've been through some terrible tragedy can you sympathize with someone going through one currently. Excuse me. So we have Jesus in Hebrews 4. The Bible says, was tempted in all ways so that he could sympathize with us while we are being tempted. So conclusion, God is good even when we don't understand. He is good and loves us and others even when we are going through terrible times. And he knows what we are going through because he went through a similar struggle in a similar situation. So here's what we've got. Because of the fact that he can sympathize with us, and he has literally been through every temptation that we could ever go through, ever, he can say in Matthew 11, 28-30, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God also gives us a release. He also gives us more confidence when he calls the Messiah in Isaiah 9-6, the Counselor. Wonderful. God, mighty, Counselor, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We could list off more and more verses, so many about God's love and goodness that we'd run out of time today because the Bible's full of them. But we have to move on to our next section. But I just want us to remember, and we can never forget for what Jesus went through here, remember that God knows how to lift up the broken and downtrodden and those that are suffering if we would just come to him and not try to solve our own problems. And see that in verse 1 and 2, that although Jesus had to go through this tough time of starvation and temptation and terrible struggles, that why did he do it? He did it simply because he loves us. We could talk about that all day long, but wow. So real quick, moving on, something that I have read and gotten wrong, and even something I've even heard taught wrong is verses 2 and 3, and I'm going to read them. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. This can easily be read as 
Satan only threw three temptations at Jesus. Easily. That, that's what we, I've seen it. I've heard it taught. It's taught that this, these 40 days, that was it. We can just glance over it and see, but but and it really just says, now when the tempter came. It doesn't say when the tempter came. So we have perspective. We have perspective. We have perspective. Perspective is really good. We have it in Mark and Luke. We have two other accounts that Mark and Luke record this. In, one, in Mark 1, 12 and 13, it reads, Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. And then we have Luke 4, 1 and 2. It reads, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And after when he had ended, when they had ended, he was hungry. So it can be really easily glanced over that at the end of those 40 days, that's when the tempter came. That's when Christ was tempted. But realistically, that's not what the other perspectives show us. And we want to make sure that we're correct contextually because that's how we know we get a correct and accurate reading and translation of the Bible. We don't just want to pick and choose whatever we want. We want to take everything as a whole. And remember, since the four Gospels were written from four different perspectives, we have those four perspectives to show us different aspects that we may read it wrong in one gospel was where gospels two and three or gospels uh, one and four may have it recorded like this and we can see it in a whole different light so we see that this love that jesus had god loved us and that's why jesus loved us and that's why he went into these into the wilderness being tempted 40 days and 40 nights afterward he was hungry and then you know and and, and satan was adam it wasn't just for the last moment, the last day, it was all 40 days. 40 days and 40 nights of temptation. Now, on top of that, not only do we have Jesus being tempted for that 40 days and 40 nights as a whole, all together, the whole time, we also have Luke's recording in 4.13. At the very end, Luke adds another a little detail onto the end. And he writes, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So now this doesn't mean that Jesus was just tempted for 40 days and 40 nights, but what this means was is that at every opportune moment, Satan came back to him and tempted him until he was dead and in the tomb and he was no longer on this earth. Even seeing this made me wonder after I realized in light of all the context of scripture, it made me realize, wait a minute. I wonder how many other ways Satan tempted Jesus. We only have these three. My mind starts to wonder. But... That's a that could be a whole nother that could be a whole nother sermon. Just see though, forty days, forty nights, the whole entire time being tempted. After that, until opportune times came, more than all all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. What do I see there? I see God's love, His more love, and His most love, and He loves and He loves and He loves. Please keep in mind as we read over all this stuff. 
Jesus didn't have to do it this way. God is the one that sent the plan of redemption to mankind. He's the one that chose to do it this way. He could have done it any way that he wanted. But he chose to do it this way. Sacrificially. Painfully. It hurt him. Amazing. God's love that we see that he lived out for us. Wow. So, let's look at what Jesus had to go through being tempted by Satan. We're going to look at the first temptation that we have recorded and see what it could teach us. First temptation, verse 3. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, first, just for the record, just because he's God and I love him so much and I know he's capable of all things, just for the record, he didn't do what Satan asked him to do in this temptation, nor did he in any recorded one, nor did he do any one for the 40 days. But he could have. He could have done anything that Satan would have wanted him to do. He could have made the earth become a stone. He could have made anything. He could have done anything he wanted to. But he didn't. But why didn't he? And that's the key. So the first attack, it's interesting to know, is a bi-level attack. It's a hit him high and a hit him low, you could say. What do I mean? The first level of the attack is against who Jesus is. It's against his character. Who he is at the core of who he is. While the second level attack deals with Jesus' desperate need that he had at the moment in the flesh. First level. If you are the Son of God, make these stones food. Or in other words, I'm going to say it in my vernacular, what I understand it to be. Prove yourself to me. Prove it. If you are the Son of God, prove it, you trained monkey. He was testing him. Prove it. You think Satan knew who Jesus was? <laughs> Absolutely. God showed, it, showed me this neat little analogy. Think about a husband one day looking at his wife after they had been married 15 to 20 years and asking her to present their wedding certificate to prove to him that they were married. First of all, the wife might think her husband was kidding, but as he as she realized that he was serious, she would be insulted and probably either seek mental help for him or seek a divorce because of his requests. Nevertheless, this would be an insult. You know what? Looking at you, prove to me who you are. Are we really married? I just don't believe it. Prove it. That's, that's insulting. You don't tell your wife whom you love. Prove it. That's a disrespect. And you know what it was more than anything? It was a cheap shot from Satan. And boy, he's good at those. Boy, he's good at those. Now, I've had people challenge me with, if Jesus God slash, you know, God would come and just appear to me right here. Stand right here and just show himself to me. I believe him. Well, from God's perspective, we have Romans 1, 
18 through 20. I'll give you a moment to turn there if you'd like. Romans 1, 18 through 20. And it's interesting because those same people that I've met, I've given them some sold out, unrefutable, biblical proof of the Bible and of the things of the Bible and so on and so forth. And no matter what proofs I give them, they still choose to say, ah, whatever, right? Unless Jesus comes right here and stands before me, I just won't believe well, from God's perspective, Romans 1, 18 through 20, we have this written. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousnesses of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Notice they suppress the truth. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, mainly that would be us, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they, whoever's doing this, whoever Paul's writing about here, are without excuse. Now, did you catch that? All creation testifies of God. And no one has an excuse. The temptation is from one of this temptation of Satan and people that have even thrown that test or temptation out to me while we've been standing there. This, But this one specifically is from one of God's created beings that saw God face to face from the beginning, had even been in his presence, and even sat or stood right at his throne if you are the son of God do you see the heart of Satan here as he insults God in the flesh with his first recorded temptation all I could say is wow Jesus absolutely or Satan absolutely knew who Jesus was and there's no way he didn't know just like Romans 1, 18 through 20. No one that's ever even laid that temptation out to God before. God, but if you would just show yourself down here right now, then I'll believe you. It's a total fraud. They don't want to believe. It's not that they can't believe because all creation shows them God, even his eternal Godhead and power. Now, the Bible does say it's okay to seek God. We have Jesus himself telling us in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. If you'd like to turn there, I'll give you a moment if you'd like. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. And we have Jesus recorded as saying, Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For anyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man there is there among you who, if he asks his if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will give him a serpent. And Jesus calls us out here, he says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven? Give good things to those who ask him. 
So there is testing God, but then there's inquiring or asking of God. Here's an example. So let's say you're seeking the Lord for what he would have you to do, and you ask him to show you a certain path that you think that he might be, you know, you believe he's kind of leading you down or that you think you might be, you know, might be wanting to take. So you believe him, say, as you're seeking him in prayer, you believe him to say, take this path. But you're not sure that it's him telling you because the Bible does say, test the spirits. So you ask him for a sign or some confirmation to make sure that you are hearing him clearly. Because you are wanting to do his will, this would be fine. Because you're not expecting him to do some type of trick for you to prove for him to prove himself to you. And you are not tempting him in any way. You just want to make sure you are in his perfect will. You know, example, this job. Oh God, I, you know, I need this job, but Lord, is this the job that you want me to have? Or a girlfriend, maybe you want to become a wife or something you're thinking about dating or God, is this the right girl? Could you just please show me something? I just, I just want to know. Or house, etc. The list could go on. But God never says and he never condemns anybody for saying, inquiring of him in areas of our lives. Because the Bible says that we're supposed to inquire of God in our lives for this or that or so on. So every direction that we take, God says, I want to be involved in your decision-making process. Seek me in that. But here we have Satan Give a challenge, not an inquiry. He had, again, he said he, he kind of gives a prove to me you really are the Son of God and do some trick for me, you monkey. It's clear to see what's acceptable in God's eyes. That's the first level. Remember, I said hit him high and hit him low. Well, the second level, the first temptation, of course, is attacking Jesus' biggest need at that moment, which would have been food big note here satan knew that jesus was desperate for food and let's face it after 40 days and 40 nights of no food this wasn't a normal hungry if i miss a meal i'm hungry let's say i go a day and i fast and i miss a whole day of eating well, then I'm really hungry. Well, this was 40 days and 40 nights with no food. Clinically, medically, this was a near-death hungry. So notice, Satan was with Jesus the entire 40 days, testing him and tempting him the whole time. We don't get to know all those, but just the three. But for this one especially, he was waiting to spring on him. Because at this point here, Jesus was near death and boy, he was hungry. So notice he watched him and he waited on him and he looked and he waited like a cat that's waiting on his prey, like a tiger. So what Satan did here, this was a strategic military attack. This wasn't just a, oh, I'm going to just go randomly go attack this guy today because of this, that, and the other. This was a strategic military attack he was watching waiting seeing i'm sure maybe jesus had prayed for food who knows what he prayed he was there 40 days and 40 nights we don't even get to know what he prayed well guess what satan still is examining our lives today and he's still waiting for that absolute 
most opportune moment to come and attack of that absolute need that we need the most, that we're in desperation for. He knows what we're in need of to survive. And provisions are tight. He still hits us with this temptation. This would be the application for us. When all the bills are paid and the food is in plenty, nothing's in need. We've got everything we need. Everything is great. That's perfect. No problems. But let's say we lose our job. Let's say we have we have jobs, but then a big repair bill comes up like a refrigerator or air conditioning that blows up and breaks down, and now we don't have the money to pay it. Whoa, 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 whoa. What's the first thing that might come into our minds? Because I know, since I'm a human and I've got firsthand accounts of Satan's attacks, if God really loved you, then why would this bad stuff be happening to you? Notice what that just attacked? God's character. If God really loved you, why would this bad stuff be happening to you? If God were really in your life, then how could this, whatever you could fill in, whatever problem that you've having, how could he be letting this happen to you if he really loves you and if he's really in your life? If Jesus or God are really real, then why isn't he providing for your need right now? Oh, he knows that you're in need of X, Y, or Z, but if he's really there, why isn't he providing that? Wow. I know Satan really well, unfortunately. The list can go on. The list can go on. I, I've had lists walking with Jesus for 12 or 13 years, and I've had all those and a, and a hundred more at least. If that person really loved me or if God really loved me, then why did that happen You know, with my church? Or if that this really happened here or this really happened here, whatever, you can go on. So how did Jesus fight Satan's attacks? That's what we need to look at in a, in a big, big way. Because why? How do we fight Satan when he comes and attacks us? Because it's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. When will he come and attack? Well, Jesus gave us an example how to fight off Satan. What's the first thing he does? Doesn't answer him in any other way. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God says in his word, that I have put my word above my name. So what does this mean? That God honors what he has written in this holy Bible right here. It's in front of me. Above whatever his name is. Whether you want to call him Jesus or Jehovah, Yahweh, Jesus Christ, whoever, whatever you want to call him, all his names that we have listed for him out of the Bible. He says, I put my word above my name. So what did Jesus say in essence when he said what he said? Read it again. 
It is written. So we know that Jesus is going to the word of God for his answer. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. No, Satan. I'm going to trust in God to provide for me. I don't have to manufacture anything you want. I don't have to do it my way. Because remember, he was in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, you don't generally see plush gardens and fruit trees everywhere. Maybe he was in that kind of wilderness, but I don't know. There probably wasn't a lot of food around him. Hence Satan saying, just go ahead and make this, make this stone of food. Jesus went to, I trust in God for my provision. I'm not going to have to manufacture it and do it my own way. That's important. When Satan comes and attacks us and tempts us and pushes us, Oh, if God was really real, or oh, if you were really with God, or oh, this or that, or whatever, you can say, like me actually this morning, I had an example of it this morning. And I was praying to God, and Satan was right there trying to tempt me and test me and attack me and mentally. And I said, get behind me, Satan, for it is written. God put it on my heart, and he said, Don't, you're not just going to teach my word, Ed. You're going to actually live by exactly what you teach. And I said, you know what? You're right, your Lord. You're absolutely right. Because I'm not. I'm bad at get behind me, Satan, because it is written. I'm bad at that. So I, God showed me this morning that I need to be better at get when I feel those temptations and I recognize them and I know that they're coming. Get behind me, Satan, for it is written. God loves me and he died for me. Whatever, however, whatever the temptation is. Oh, well, what about that provision? Or what about that what you don't have? Or what about you know you, 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 this lack of something you have or that lack of something you have? Get behind me, Satan, for the Bible says, God's word says that God takes care of me. He provides for my every need. Get behind me, Satan. So important note, how did Jesus handle Satan? We need to handle him the same way. We need to do it the same way. We're going to close with that first temptation because there's a lot more to say on the next two and then plus what happened to Jesus at the end and so on and so forth. And, and as he gets back from this temptation in the wilderness, he's going to start his uh, professional ministry, his three and a half year ministry. So in closing, I ask slash challenge those that are listening. Who are you listening to and obeying on a daily basis? Do you trust in God and obey the teachings of Jesus and use the word of God as a guide to how you live your life? If that is you, then look at the way Satan tempted Jesus here and be expecting him to attack you in this way and be prepared. Got to be prepared. If you know something's coming, got to be prepared. If he did it to our creator in the flesh... How much more is he going to try to do it to us? Just think about that. He tempted the very one that made you, the very one that had this word written, the very one that breathed this word into the breath of man that wrote it. And he tempted them. He tempted him. How much more will he do it to us? So we must be prepared to fight him and trust in God that he will provide for us and take care of us 
and that everything will be great, that God will take care of everything, no matter what we have to go through. Now, on the other side, I talk now to those that don't obey the teachings of Jesus in your life. Do you find that you don't obey the teachings of Jesus in your life? Or do you even, can you sit there to yourself and even say, I well, I don't even really know what Jesus taught. Because if you say, well, I don't even really know the way Jesus taught, and so I don't even really know how to obey him, it would be like a doctor walking up to a doctor and saying, hey, doctor, you know, yeah, 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 I'm a doctor. Well, uh, what kind of doctor are you? Well, I'm a, I'm an eye doctor. Well, how do I fix this problem in my eye? And he would say, well, I don't know. What do you mean? You don't know. You just said you're an eye doctor. Well, yeah, I'm an eye doctor. Yeah, just, just believe me. Well, well, where do you practice? Well, I, I don't really have a practice. I'm not, I, you know, I'm, well, then when's the last patient you've worked on? Well, I, I don't, I don't really know. I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I don't really remember. I don't think you'd go to that doctor because he's not really an eye doctor because he's not really practicing fixing people's eyes. He'd be called a liar. So if you don't obey the teachings of Jesus in your everyday life and you don't live for him, then please know that you're not okay with Christ. And he said, it's only those that will do the will of my father that shall enter in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21. If this is you, then I want to go back to that very first verses, those very first verses, verses 1 and 2. And I want to ask you to look at how much God loves you and how much he sacrificed for you and how much he endured for you. That not only did he endure the cross of Christ, which he came and he lived and he died a brutal death on that cross, and then died and was buried and then rose again on the third day. Not only did he do that in the flesh, but he also faced these temptations in the wilderness. He went and he suffered 40 days and 40 nights, and then for three years plus, he suffered with Satan coming to him. Every single opportune moment time that he could come, Satan came and he tempted him. And remember that God did this for you because he loves you and because he could have chose any way to do it. He could have come to earth and he could have commanded, anybody that wants to love me, love me now or I'm going to cast you away and love me now. But he didn't, choose, he didn't choose to do it that way. He chose to come and show us his love by the way he lived his life. And the attacks that he went through and the ways in which he suffered for you. That's what he did for you. And look at his love. And that's how he chose to come and redeem you from your sins. Because the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so we're all sinners. All in need of repentance. All in need of a Savior. All in need to turn to Christ. Not just to profess him with our lips or profess him with our mouths, but to come and turn to him. And trust in him. And, Matthew 7, verse 21, do the Father's will, which is in heaven. That's what God wants from you. So wherever you're at right now, Christian, be praying, God, prepare me for the attacks of Satan that will come, because they will come. Pray, pray hard, and ask God to prepare you for when they do come. Because Satan loves it when he attacks us. 
and we don't trust in God, and then we fall on our knees and we're weeping and we're crying, oh God, why has such a bad thing happened to me? Where have you gone? Where are you in my life right now? And Satan's standing over you going, <laughs> yeah, I got you, sucker. If we just only stand stronger in God and say, God, I know that you, you love me and I know that I'm just going to trust in you and you're going to take care of me. And if you're not right with Christ, please realize it. If you're not obeying the teachings of Jesus, and please cry out to God right now and say, God, I, I, I want to love you. I want to turn to you. I, I'm sorry. I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to turn to Jesus and I want to trust in Jesus. And God knows if your heart will be right as you pray and, and you say, I want to turn to you. God knows that your heart will be right when, you, when you're ready, if you're ready. And turn to him now. Don't wait another day because you don't know that you'll live another day. You could die tonight. Let's pray. God, I love you and thank you so much for bringing us here. Thank you so much for your word today. Thank you so much for this wisdom. Thank you so much for your grace and your love, God, and that even those that are listening right now that aren't okay with you because they're not obeying your teachings and they don't even know them. Maybe they profess to be Christians. Maybe they don't profess to be Christians, Lord God, but I just pray, Lord God, that you would Touch their hearts first of all, Lord God, and show them how much you love them. And show them what you suffered for them. Show them the sacrifices that you made for all of us. And I pray, God, that your love would touch their hearts, God, right now. And I pray that you would drive them unto the cross, that you would drive them unto Christ. For your word said it is the love of God that draws men unto repentance. And so, God, I pray for them that they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, God, I pray for all of us that are yours out there, Lord God, right now. I pray, God, that you would touch our hearts and help us to be more fervent in prayer. If Satan, Lord God, is going to be a strategic military general against us and watch our lives and look for every opportune moment that he can attack us and, and smear us all over the wall, Lord God, as he crushes us, Lord God, I pray that you would help us to be ready. And the trust in you no matter what, Jesus, the trust in you no matter what, not to fall prey to his attacks, not to fall prey to his temptations that he throws at us, just like he throw, just like he threw at you. And I pray, God, that you would help us to be more prepared and just cling to you more, whether we understand or whether we don't understand, because, Jesus, I didn't understand why you had to be driven into the wilderness by our loving Father to be tempted by Satan, but yet... You showed me why. So we don't have to understand to trust in you. I pray that we would just trust in you no matter what. I love you and I praise you, God, and I thank you, God. And we ask and pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.